as you guys know, we live in a, in a perilous culture. But, you know, we have a tendency to think our culture is not like anything else in time. Um, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have preceded us have walked through equally or greater perilous times. And there's always been one standard of truth that guides the body of Christ, and that is the Word of God. God wants us to know He's faithful. God wants us to know His character. God wants us to know His nature. And it is His Word that reveals these things to us. So when I talked to Rob and I asked him, I said, you know, hey, what do you, what do you want me to teach? He says, well, I'm in Galatians uh, teaching on grace. I was like, great, you know, I'll teach on law. That's great, you know. And uh, so he's covering grace. But I want to, you know, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapters 8 and 9 this morning. And uh, uh, how many of you, I'm just, I'm just curious, in your journey with the Lord, how many of you have studied through the book of Deuteronomy in your walk with the Lord? Oh, good. Praise God. All seven of us have, uh, uh, you know, have journeyed. No, several of us have gone through Deuteronomy, and what a blessing that is. But a lot of times people get all wigged out with the Old Testament, and they think, oh man, that's that, you know, that wrathful God who just blows out entire cultures and you know, kills women and children and animals. And, and uh, what, what we miss sometimes is that when we look at the nature of God, God is a God of grace. He's faithful. He's just. He's holy. He's righteous. And he's the same yesterday, today, and he will be that way forever. It's his nature. It never shifts. But we have a tendency to quantify or to categorize him as the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. And that's a wrong view. The first song we sang this morning, uh, Hosanna. The the word Hosanna uh, means save now. Many of us are familiar with it. It's the time when Christ entered into Jerusalem and uh, the the people were laying down palm branches and laying down their clothing articles and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Meaning, save now, Lord. There was this anticipation of Messiah. If you look back in in Israel's history, um, thousands of years, there was a time, as many of you guys know, Israel was brought out of Egypt. They were slaves there for 400 years. They went in about 70 people. They come out a people of about 1.6 to 2.3 million people. They come out of, out of, out of Egypt. And God sends Moses in and delivers uh, Israel from the bondage. They're making bricks. They're slaves. And life is brutal. It is very brutal. The Pharaoh had turned against Israel and was, was brutalizing the Israelites. And God sends Moses to deliver his people. And we learn a lot about God and we learn a lot about ourselves as we watch the nation of Israel interact with God in those years of journey as they head towards the promised land. The land that God had promised Abraham that he would give to them. Uh, a land flowing with milk and honey, provision, abundance, sustenance. And so Israel comes out under Moses' leadership. And the book of Deuteronomy is interesting in its setting. Uh, many of you guys may or may not know this, but Deuteronomy is the most frequently quoted book in, 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 by Jesus. Jesus most frequently quoted from this book. In this book, we see the character and the nature of God and His love, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice. But you will also see, and the reason I I thought it would be helpful this morning to see, is you see in the book of Deuteronomy the emphasis of the grace of God. And we'll see that here in chapters 8 and 9. And a lot of times people think grace is a New Testament theology. It's not. Grace is a biblical theology that is manifested both Old Testament and New Testament. 
Now, we are journeying in our fellowship in Morgantown. As Rob said, we've been there 13. This is our 13th year, and we're studying through Deuteronomy. We're going through the Old Testament. And so we are in a study of, of Deuteronomy. I personally am a huge fan of the Old Testament. I love it. I just absolutely love the, the simplistic observation of God's nature and then the clear application to our lives. It's just cut and dry, I think, in the Old Testament, much more so than in other ways. Now, when we come to chapters 8 and 9 of Deuteronomy, in the, the history of, of Israel, the entire first generation has died off. And the reason that they've died off is the first generation refused to trust and obey God. And when they came to uh, Kadesh uh, Barnea, they, um, they refused to go into the land. The 12 spies had gone in, given a good report. You know, two of them, Caleb and Joshua, said there's a good report. It's a land, but there's giants and fortified cities, but it's a good land. And God has given it into our hand. And so let's go in. Let's take possession. But the other 10, they gave a a bad report. They said, no, you know, they'll destroy us. They're greater than we are. And it turned the hearts of of perhaps 1.6 million people against Moses and they refused to trust God and they refused to go on the land and take possession and as a result of that for 38 years that first generation from everybody 20 and above uh, was a fighting age uh, they died off everybody so now where we find ourselves in Deuteronomy and in the history of Israel that second generation have come and they're camped out in the Jordan Valley east of the Jordan River, and they can see from where their camp is, they can see Jericho. They can see it on the horizon. And this whole multitude is camped. And they can see in the distance what they've come to know as the promised land. And they're poised and ready to go in and take possession. And so in the first 12 chapters of Deuteronomy, God, uh, through Moses, is exhorting them, remember God's faithfulness. Obey His commands. And one of the predominant themes in the intro to, in the, in the first chapters of Deuteronomy, is, is to fear God. Now a lot of times when we think of fear God, we have a, this kind of cartoon image that God is there dwelling in heaven, waiting for us to cross or step out of the line so he can mash us with that cartoon-sized mallet, right? And so to fear God is to have like this terror of God. But the word to fear God means to have reverence, awe, and respect, And as Moses will exhort Israel all throughout the first 12 chapters, is that reverence and respect for God is manifested in obedience. In fact, I was thinking as we were singing Hosanna, if you look back at chapter 5, in in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29, very interesting glimpse when you consider the nature of God. This is actually God saying to Moses, and listen to the heart of God. He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. Do you sense in God's heart his desire is that he wants us to show reverence, respect to him, and obey his commandments? But notice the purpose in doing this is that that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see, there are blessings of obedience. And as many of us know through our lives, there's also consequence of rebellion. You know, I bear in my life the scars of rebellion. Uh, I have the tales and the stories and the, and the wounds in my soul that, that can account for the rebellious things that I have done. And Moses is exhorting the second generation, do not repeat the sin of your, of your, of your parents. Go into the land, 
Fear God, reverence Him, honor Him, hold Him in high regard, and obey all His commands for the purpose and the blessing that will go well with you all the days of your life. That's the heart of God. So when we come to chapter 8, Moses is reminding of this, of this, this blessing. He says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You see, Moses begins here again reminding them, be careful to observe the commands. Be careful to walk in his ways, that it may go well with you, that you may be blessed. And I think so many times when, I mean, I don't know how you respond to somebody telling you what to do, but there's typically two human responses. When, you, when somebody comes to you and says, listen, you will do this, you're going to do one of two things, typically in some varying degree. You're going to go, yes, sir, yes, sir, how high, sir, right? And you'll jump to it and you'll, and you'll do it. The other part of you, you're going to do your best five-year-old imitation and say, over my dead body am I going to do that, right? And I'm like, no. And you wag your head and you say, you can't tell me what to do and who are you? And you puff out your chest. And you see, we humanly do that with God. When we read God's word and it says, hey, you know, don't, don't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. Um, don't uh, give yourself under the influence of anything that's not the Holy Spirit or God's word. Right? Don't, be, uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't commit adultery, don't fornicate. Don't, you know, we look at these commands and we go, oh man, who is God to tell me what to do? But you see, we miss that God's heart is, is that to obey is to find blessing. You see, God gives us command and instruction not to torture us, not to harm us, but to bless us. There's a, a writer, I have a general philosophy in people that I read. If they're not dead, I don't read them, right? If they're not dead, they're not read. Uh, because I just don't find much written today of any spiritual depth. It's just all fluff. It's garbage. It's, it's like, you know, it's, uh, I just don't find it there. But there are men who have preceded us in history. Men like uh, this guy, his name is C.H. Uh, McIntosh. Uh, wrote in the late 1800s, and he says, he, he says, implicit obedience is the grand moral safeguard against the wiles of the enemy. You see, there is temptation to do destructive things. And, and Macintosh rightly points out that the way to avoid deception and destruction and the schemes of the enemy is to walk in obedience to what God says. And if we're walking in obedience, we're going to avoid a lot of the, a lot of the carnage of our lives. And, I, and I, you know, I don't know you guys personally, haven't journeyed with you long. I don't know what your story is. But I think it's reasonable to say that your story has some resemblance to mine. I was rebellious. I engaged in sin. I, I rejected God's authority in my life. And I have paid the consequences and still carry the consequence of that rebellion. You see, God gives us command not because he hates us, but because he loves us to protect us and to guide us. And this is what Moses is exhorting this entire second generation is fear God, reverence him, honor him, and demonstrate your reverence for him in your obedience. In fact, if you look at, at, um, at chapter 7 here, uh, in chapter 7, it's important to understand in chapter 7, verse 
7, it says, The Lord did not set His love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because He would keep the oath He swore to your fathers. Do you see that God, even in the book of Deuteronomy, you have this, this, this introduction of this concept that the God, the creator of the universe, loves His creation. And he so loves us, he gives us commands by which if we follow, we'll experience blessing. And that's what Moses is exhorting to this whole second generation. And he tells them here, back in chapter 8, in verse 2, he says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. He's reminding them, remind, remember how God has provided you all, all the way to this point. Don't forget, because we all have a tendency, right, to forget God's past provision. And that's going to be a key theme as we look here at several sections this morning. There is an interesting thing that, that Moses mentions his next generation. Here he says, He led you all these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you'd obey his commands. Now that's an interesting thing. Moses is reminding Israel, listen, God led you these 40 years and provided you. He brought water from the rock. He, he provided manna every morning. And I, and I don't know how many of you guys have ever done the math on the manna thing for 1.6 million Jews, uh, but we're talking 40 tons of manna every day. 40 tons. Think of the trucks there. Every morning when, when Israel woke up, God in his, in his majestic supernatural provision had provided this coriander tasting stuff that kind of like they would go out and pick it up off the ground. It was supernaturally provided. When they complained that there wasn't enough water, God brought forth water from stones. You see, God had supernaturally provided for them. And God said through Moses, he says to, to, to Israel, and Moses is reminding the second generation, do not forget what God has done in your past. And you know, you might be this morning confronting uncertainty. Just this past week, I was at, a, um, at one of the, the recent attendees in our fellowship owns a, a Taekwondo studio, and one of her students uh, had committed suicide in this past week. And unfortunately, this child was 12 years old. And, and you think, what is it in a, in a life of a young adult that seems so overwhelming that the, the reasonable solution would be to take their life? And I think as adults, we forget the challenges of what it was like to be a young adult and how overwhelming things can be. And see, Israel was standing on the cusp of something that was right in front of them that they didn't know and they didn't understand. And Moses is exhorting them, trust God, obey God, have confidence in Him, show reverence to Him. Because the tendency is if we forget what God has done in our past, regardless of how long our past is, whether it be 6, 8, 12, 14, 40, 50, 60 years, if we forget God's faithfulness in the past, then we will, we will begin to doubt His faithfulness in our present, in our future. And you see, all these things correlate. When you, begin to, when you fail to fear God, and you don't obey God in what he says, then you will be less likely to have confidence in God and obey him going forward. Remembering is very critical. Do you remember how God has answered your prayers in the past? Do you remember how God set you free from the sin that was just destroying your life? You, you see, remembering is very critical to those things. And Moses exhorts them, remember that the Lord your God led you all the way to humble and to test you to know what was in your heart. Now this is an interesting thing. 
Um, now, if I were to ask our young adults here this morning, why do teachers give exams or tests? I think probably, at least over in Morgantown, the young adults believe that teachers give tests to torture the children, right? That's the only reasonable, right? That's, they, they give, no. So the, but the purpose of a test from a, from a, from a teacher's level is to, to give the student an opportunity to demonstrate proficiency. It's that opportunity that they're given in their life to demonstrate what they know. And that's what Moses is revealing here. The Lord led you in all these days and allowed you to experience these things to, to see what was in your heart. But here's what's interesting. You see, Psalm 139 says that God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows everything about us. So when, when they would know what was in their heart, it was not so much for God's benefit. It was for their own. If you can imagine a person carrying a jar full of fluid and he's trying to navigate the busy city streets, every time, you know, if it's filled right to the brim, every time he gets nudged or bumped, what's going to happen is whatever's in that jar is going to spill out on the people around it, right? And sometimes you don't really know what's in the vessel of our own lives until you get nudged or jarred by life. Sickness, loss of employment, uncertainty, a diagnosis you weren't anticipating, a struggle with a, a child... And then you get nudged and what's on the inside spills out. And you go, whoa, dude, I, I had, I, man, I had even no idea that was even in my soul. You see, as Israel journeyed through the wilderness, one of the things that they learned is they realized that they were so unwilling to obey God. They didn't realize how, how rebellious they were. And God reminds them of that they were a stiff-necked people. So what's interesting is Moses is reminding this next generation God's allowed these things for you to see what's in your heart because he wants you to trust him and obey him and keep his commandments that it will go well with you all the days of your life. In continuing in verse 3, he says, So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger and he fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord chastens you. Now this term, these, this phrase may sound familiar to you. It was quoted by Jesus when he was tempted by Satan there in the wilderness. Right? Satan says, if you're the son of God, take these stones. Right? Jesus had fasted for four years. For 40 years. 40, uh, it was Israel who wandered for 40 years. It may have felt like 40 years, but Jesus fasted for 40 days. And so the enemy comes to him and he says, if you're hungry, if you're the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds and he actually quotes Deuteronomy right here out of Deuteronomy chapter eight. He says, he says, man does not live by bread alone. Now, man does live by bread. It's necessary to eat to be sustained. But what really sustains man is not bread, but a willingness to trust God no matter what life brings. Man does not live by bread alone, right? He says, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Wouldn't you love to shop at a store that sold clothes that didn't wear out for 40 years? Yeah. You know, it'd be cool, wouldn't it? You guys might think I'm kind of goofy in saying this, but we, most of our cars, with the exception of one, all have well over 100,000 miles. And, and it's, I, I commonly go out there and I lay my hand on the fender of my car and it's like, Lord... I know in the same way that you preserve the sandals of the Israelites, please allow this car to not wear out, you know? Can God do that? Absolutely. You might think, well, you know, wait, come on, Sean, really? Come on, you know? But you see, our view of God directly affects the way we live. 
And if you think God is limited or not, does not possess the ability to do something, and, and, he, and you can completely understand everything he's doing, and he fits here in your brain housing group, then why would you ever go to him when things are out of control, when, when you don't know the outcome of something? But when you see God as he truly is, that he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all he's not limited by time and space, he, he understands everything in our lives, and he's known our days from before even one began, he knows our words before they're on our tongues, and he knows our thoughts before we even possess them. Then I can come to that God and I can lay down my life and say, Lord, please help, I'm struggling. I need wisdom in how to be the husband you've called me to be or the wife you've called me to be or the child you've called me to be or the employee you've called me to be. Lord, I don't know how it's going to come out with this diagnosis. I don't know what's going to happen with this, you know, Lord. But see, if God is beyond what you can understand and comprehend, then you naturally will come and surrender to him and be willing to obey him. But if you have a small God that you can carry around in your pocket, why would you ever come to him with your struggles? He's limited. But the God of Scripture, the God that Moses is inviting Israel to have confidence in, is beyond that. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And Moses is exhorting this next generation to have confidence in God, relying in God's provision. Because man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And here's a great truth that we can hang our hat on, and this is the truth that God is faithful to accomplish what he's, what he's said. So when we know his word, we can have confidence in it. We can, we can put ourselves in that. Like, for instance, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, that's not a promise for unbelievers. That is a promise for believers, followers of Jesus Christ, that God is able, like James says, consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let perseverance have its perfect result, that you'd be mature, lacking nothing. You see, when you encounter a trial and you know that God's in control, then you can give yourself to God and say, God, work out in this trial what pleases you in my life. Or you can kick and scream and do your best five-year-old impression and say, God, why are you allowing this? What's going on? You're not in control. You're not God. And become angry at him. But God wants us to trust him. And Israel is being exhorted by Moses to put your confidence in him. In verse 6, he says, therefore. So based on everything before this, right? God's faithful. He allowed you to be tested. He faithfully provided you. Therefore, what? You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him or to reverence him. Now what's important to understand is that obedience is a manifestation of respect and reverence. If you do not reverence, if you do not revere God or fear God, then you won't obey him. So I guess one of the questions to ask within our own souls this morning, where am I on the quotient of reverence for God? Am I walking in obedience to what he says or am I just doing my own thing? Now, one of the challenges that, that most of us confront is that we're not familiar enough with God's Word to know what to do. And so that's why we need to be reading the Word every day. We need to be daily studying the Word and, and absorbing it, letting our minds be filled with it. So when that bump in the road hits, we don't have to go to our Bible and wonder what it says. We already know. Right? David says, Psalm 119.11, he says, Your Word I've hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. So when that opposition or challenge comes, I know what the response is. But then the other important thing in our lives, too, as we journey, is, and Rob mentioned this, 
that when, I mean, I, I, am, I, have, I desire to see godly men accept the call to go and to plant churches. It's a challenge. It's, it's arduous. It's painful. It's lonely. It's a struggle. It's brutal. But God calls certain men to step up and to step out and to trust God. And then to see, you see, when there's that willingness to trust and obey God and to walk in God's faithfulness, then you begin to see God's blessings being poured out like this. Because of Rob's, Rob and Rebecca and their family's willingness to come here and to lay down their lives, we have a place where we can gather as believers and, and worship Jesus this morning and learn his word. And so, but Rob, as he pointed out, there's importance of who we yoke ourselves to, who we come alongside with in life. And that is so pertinent in all of our lives, regardless of season of age, relative to our friends that we surround ourselves with. What is the old saying? It's hard to soar with eagles when you roost with turkeys, right? And, it, and it's hard when we, we need to really look at the people that we put into our lives, the friends. You see, because all of us are going to run into that bump when we don't know what to do. And we don't, maybe, man, it's just like, Lord, what do I do in this situation? And we've got to have a brother or sister in Christ to go to and to say, hey, what, what do I do here? My wife's saying I'm a total jerk and she wants to leave. What do I do? You know, my boss says I'm, I'm just totally a knucklehead at work and he's, and he's correcting me and I, I want to punch his teeth out. What do I do? And then you have a friend that comes alongside and says, you know what, here's what the word of God says. And that's why God has created the church. Hebrews 10, 24, let us not forsake the gathering together as is the habit of one, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day is approaching. I think it's awesome you guys are, in fact, it's the reason Val and I came over this morning, the first weekend of May, is because I heard you guys were serving breakfast. I'm like, right on. But it wasn't just the food, it's the opportunity to sit and to break bread with someone and to talk and to get to know you, to journey. So the question for you, if we, we know this thing, therefore you shall keep his commandments and fear the Lord your God to walk in all of his ways, right? I would ask you, what are the people that you have in your life that you allow the privilege to speak into your life, to give you counsel? Are you building into your life godly people to counsel you? You know, when you hit a rough bump in the road, do you call Rob and Rebecca and say, hey, you know, my child's going sideways. My wife thinks I'm a jerk. Uh, our finances are really hurting. What do you, where do you go to? I mean, I hope you're not just Googling, you know, Dr. Phil. Because he's just going to lead you. Or Oprah? I mean, come on. There's, what is it Proverbs says? There's a way that seems right to, the, to, the, to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And worldly counsel, ungodly counsel, will always produce that in our lives. Moses is exhorting Israel, trust, obey God, fear Him, have reverence for Him, and walk in obedience. In verse 7 he says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a land, a land of brooks, waters, fountain springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, and a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and, and honey, olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land with whose stones are iron and out of the, whose hills can dig copper, and when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the, the good land which he has given you. And beware. Now, I don't know about you if you circle or underline your Bible, but when I see the word beware, that gets my attention. Okay, danger, danger, danger. What's going on here? Beware. Beware of what? 
Beware that you do not forget. Notice the emphasis of remember, do not forget. Do not forget what? Do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and you are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents, scorpions, a thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. And then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. You see the risk that Israel was at? You see, God was going to give them a land of provision, a land of great blessing. Uh, It was called the promised land. He's going to give them this land. And up to this point in their life, this entire generation had known God's supernatural provision. You see manna on the ground every day, water from rock, led by pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. They had been led supernaturally. But now there's a transition when they go into the land. And when they go into the land... It's the land in its fruitful, bountiful uh, provision. They're gonna, now they're going to inherit cities that they didn't build. They're going to inherit vineyards from, that they didn't plant. And there's going to be abundance. And now there's just this great blessing. In your life, and let me just ask you, don't answer out loud, but in your life, when are you most prone to cry out to God? When things are going good or things are really challenging? Like you're failing your history class? You've just lost your job, right? Those are the times when we cry out to God. God, help me. I don't know what to do. But man, when there's money in the account, my IRA is doing great. You know, my investments are really paying off. The boss loves me. My wife loves me. The kids are doing awesome. I'm carrying straight A's in school. You know, then we just think, man, I'm just like a great person. I'm doing so awesome, right? Right? And we forget our dependence upon God. I mean, now I don't know about you. That's how my life goes. I don't know about your life. That's how my life happens. You see, we have a tendency, a propensity as humans, that when things go good, we forget our dependence upon God. And we begin to think, oh, man, I am so skillful. Maybe you play an instrument and you go, man, I'm just really something awesome here. Right? Or maybe you're an architect and you just build awesome things, or a doctor and you just, you know, you go in and you repair that heart valve and you go, oh, look at me, I'm just really something. Really? Well, who gave you that ability? I I don't know if any of you have ever really thought through the mechanics of this one, but how many of you chose in in utero, then you've been, you know, you've been conceived and you're there in the womb, you know, mom, and and you're like on the iPad of life and you're saying, okay, I want to live in the 21st century and I want, to, I want to live in the North American continent and I want to live in Cumberland, Maryland and I want to be born into this family. How many of you have those selectable options on the iPad of life in utero? And so for the sake of the recording, there's not a single hand. None of us had that option. Did you ever think it was God's sovereignty that he chose you to live now and he chose you to live here? He gifted you. He gave you your mental abilities. You, didn't, you may have developed them or refined them, but he, did not, he chose to give you an increased mental capacity. We've had the huge blessing of having Tim come over and, and work with us in, in Morgantown, and he's been serving in our fellowship for the last 
what, three, four months, Tim? Um, and just, Tim, if, if you don't know, but Tim is highly gifted as, as an artist. And he's come over and used those gifts to be a blessing. Now, Tim may have refined those skills and those abilities, but that gifting, that talent is a gift from God. That originates in God's giving to him. Maybe you're a welder or a physician or you, ha- you understand numbers and accounting or you like history. The one I like most is, you know, there's this thing on TV regularly in different seasons of the year where this, this you know, guy runs into the, the, this green patch and he's carrying this odd-shaped brown object and he's so impressed with himself to get to that patch of green grass and he slams the brown object on the, on the ground and he goes, yeah, it's all about me. And I'm like, yeah, and he jumps up in the crowd, right? You guys ever seen this happen Sunday afternoons? College football? I mean, anybody? <laughs> You guys, you ever, have you ever seen this? And they're just like, yeah, they're talking trash as if... Now think about this. Did they choose their, their muscle, muscle density, their physical stature, their joints' ability to, to sustain impacts? Did they choose the, the muscle mass or the size of their, their physical body or where they lived or what continent they were born on? No. That was sovereignly chosen by the creator of the universe and God placed them there. Now, yes, they worked hard and they refined it, but where's the origin of the ability? It's in a God-given gift. And you see, the the problem is, is when we forget that, that what we have, everything we have, our abilities, our talents, our gifts, our resource, and even the privilege of living in the 21st century in North America... Those are blessings sovereignly given to us by God. And the moment we forget that and we take it for granted and we think we're something special, we are then subject to experience the consequence of pride. Proverbs is very clear. Pride comes just before what? A fall or destruction, right? Moses is pointing out, says, beware, be careful, because when your heart is lifted up, verse 14, and you forget the Lord your God, how he led you, he brought you water, who fed you, right, verse 17, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained this wealth. He says, when, when that happens, verse 18, he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, and that he may establish his covenant with you which he swore to your fathers, as is the day, then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys you, so shall you perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. And don't be mistaken. The Scriptures tell us God is not mocked, that what a man sows he also reaps. And if you think you can sow and indulge your flesh in all of its appetites and reap in your life spiritual blessings, like let me give you a practical example. I suspect many of you here are married this morning. And if you think you can go out and indulge your, your, your uh, fleshly appetites and be a total jerk to your spouse, totally disrespectful to your spouse, and think you're going to have a blessed marriage? You're going to experience a joyful, loving, nurturing, caring marriage? You're deceived. Because marriage is the most 
intimate human relationship for a human being to experience love at any level a human can know. But there's guidelines for it. And if you don't follow those guidelines, you're, it's, life is going to really be hard for you. Guys, if you treat your wives with disrespect and you don't follow Ephesians 5 and love them as Christ loved the church, it's going to be hard on you. Because what's really wild is God in his, in his infinite wisdom fashioned a woman that if she is loved and cared for, and ladies, afterwards, if, if I'm wrong, please correct me you know, as you go. But, but tell me, I mean, I've never met a woman yet that has told me in counseling to say that, you know, if my husband just loved me unconditionally and every decision he made was for my benefit and he preferred me above, above all others and he didn't put work or hobbies or children or anything above me, if he adored me and, and held me as precious, she would naturally show respect and regard for him. I've never had a woman tell me different. And wives, you know, if you want your husband to love you and to honor you, don't badger him. Don't, don't, don't challenge his authority every moment. Don't constantly remind him you could do things better. Because God chose, and here's what's interesting, God chose an order for the home. The, the husband is the head of the, the, the house. Why? Is it because he's better, smarter? <laughs> Any knucklehead guy will tell you, of course not. My wife is smarter than I. She's better at many things than I am. But God chose in his sovereign decision, because he's God, he said, the husband will be head of the wife. The husband will be head of the home. And if you rebel against that, you're going to suffer for it. It's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. I guarantee you, it will. You see, there's blessings in following God's commands. And when we think we know better, you're going to, you're, you'll find out you're not God. You're going to find out. You'll, you'll pay the price for it. And hopefully you'll learn from it and not repeat that mistake. See, Moses is reminding the second generation, it is imperative for your success in the future that you fear God, you honor Him, and you respect Him, and you demonstrate that respect and honor by obedience to His commands, that if you're obedient, then blessings will flow. And I'm not talking, please understand, I'm not, Rob, so Sean, so you brought your health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Obey God and you're going to get the house on the hill. No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you choose to follow Jesus, and I don't know all of you here this morning, I hope that all of you have chosen to follow Christ, but maybe you're still on the fence. I don't know. What's God like? Why, why would I want to follow a God I don't know? Maybe you're still deciding. If you choose to follow Christ, I'm not in any way conveying life is going to suddenly get easier for you. You're going to get the job you always wanted, the wife or husband you always wanted, or, or anything like that. No, the blessing comes in that God brings into your life exactly what He knows you need. But Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. Don't be dismayed by it. Don't be thrown by it. We're living in a wicked and perverse generation that rejects the authority and sovereignty of God. <laughs> Why should we be surprised that when we live a godly life in a perverse culture, that the culture goes, knuckleheads, bigots, jerks. I, I don't, and I'm not standing here saying, obey God's commands and you're going to have the house on the hill. That's not what I'm saying. But you will know a peace that surpasses understanding. You will know peace. Jesus says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And Jesus said, John 10, 10, he says, I've come that you may have life. You want to know what it really means to be alive and to live and to know joy in living? Follow Jesus. 
Trust Him with your life. You'll know then what life is. And this is the essence of what Moses is exhorting Israel. Trust God, obey God as you go into the land and don't rely on yourself. Now you do have to suit up and show up. Israel, when they came in, when they, you guys know when they went into Jericho. Anybody know the, the brilliant military strategy that they conquered Jericho with? <laughs> right? Can you, now imagine Moses talking to Joshua. Joshua, he, had, he was a skilled man of war. He had already battled the Amalekites. He was a faithful servant from childhood of Moses. This man was, was a man's man. And I can imagine how this conversation goes. God tells Joshua, he says, okay, um, I want you to go in there and just march around the city, don't say a word, seven times. And, and, then, and, then, we, and then we burst through the gates, right, God? No. I want you to just, just trust me and obey. March around the city seven times and then give out a shout. What will happen? The walls will fall in. We actually visit the ruins of ancient Jericho. And the, ru- the ruins there uh, indicate that the walls fell just as the Bible says. But imagine Joshua's confidence as a man trained in war to do something completely contrary to what he knew. It required him to obey, to reverence God, and to trust God with what he didn't understand. Now, when they went on to Ai next, uh, things didn't go so well because they tried to take things into their own hand. They go, oh, we'll just send a few hundred guys up there. And, and they got their rear ends handed to them. Okay, And they got chased out. So the the message that Moses is trying to exhort to Israel, fear God and demonstrate your reverence of him in obedience, trusting that in your obedience, God will bring blessing into your life. Blessings are the product of obedience. Now real quick in chapter 9, there's two things here I want us to see. In chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Hear, O Israel, you cross over the Jordan today. Now, this, this today is not in the 24-hour period, but it marked the beginning of a, of a transition for Israel as they went into the land. It says, you, Hear, O Israel, you cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess greater na- nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities greater and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall and descendants of the Anakim. If you're not familiar with the term Anakim, it was, there were giants in the land. And uh, these descendants of Anakim... Uh, were giants whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you. As a consuming fire, he will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. Now notice in verse 4, so, so Moses is already reminding them, listen, you're going to go and possess the land and you're going to dispossess nations that are mightier and stronger than you. And Moses wants to help them remember why this is happening. He says, do not think. He says, well, he says, therefore, understand that the Lord it is who is going to go before you. In verse 4, do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. I want to pause here for a second. One of the most common comments I receive when I talk with people about the Old Testament is why did God kill all these women and children and nations? What was going on there? And here Moses reminds Israel, listen, God is using you to bring judgment upon nations. And notice it's 
it's do not think in your heart it's because of your righteousness, your greatness, but it's because of the wickedness of these nations. In Genesis 13, it says that, the, that Israel was going to go in and be captive in, in Egypt for 400 years because the, the sin of the wickedness of the Amorites was not yet complete. God gave 400 years, multiple generations to the Amorites who dwelt in the land to repent, to change their way. They weren't. They were, they were unwilling, and God knew that. You see, something is important to understand that God is just, and he is gracious, but there comes a time when we all must give account for our lives. And this is why the person of Jesus Christ is so critical to our lives. You see, John 3.16, God says, Jesus said, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God knew that the judgment of sin in our lives, the rebellion of our lives, required judgment and condemnation and an eternity separated from God where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth and eternal flames. God knew that. So what does he do? He sends Jesus to provide the forgiveness, what Paul calls the propitiation, the the sacrifice that turns away wrath for us. You see, God's desire is not for us to experience the consequence. But that is contingent upon our willingness to receive the free gift of grace, unmerited favor. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. You see, there is always the opportunity for us to turn and to have confidence in God and to receive forgiveness. But the the opposite end of that spectrum is always in play. That if you reject Christ, and you demand to do things your own way, then you will pay the consequence for it, which is an eternal judgment. Here in Deuteronomy, God says that he replays the wicked face to face. And Revelation tells us that every person that has rejected Christ will stand before the throne and give an account for their life. Man, I praise God for Jesus Christ. I praise God that I can stand before you today, not a perfect man, a forgiven man. I am confident that my sins... 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I'm confident that in Christ Jesus, my sins are atoned for. Because I know that God is just. And that's what Moses is reminding Israel. Listen, God is using you, Israel, not because you're some special people, your righteousness. God is using you to bring, condemn- to bring judgment upon wickedness. Because see, the, the problem was that Israel had the temptation to think they were something special. He says, in verse 6, he says, Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. Don't you just love God? He's not politically correct. He just says it like it is. You are a dirtbag. And you are rebellious. And you are wicked. And there's sometimes, you know, what is it? Um, I mean, I, I know uh, as a child, one of the things that we hate is growing up in a home where our parents are constantly pointing out our deficiencies, right? You know, why? Well, why? well I want to stay up till 2 o'clock in the morning and watch that show. No, no, that's not what you need to do. But don't think that those types of things go away in childhood. Because see, when we get to adulthood, we think, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. And God says, no. And if you've learned in your, in your home growing up as a child to honor authority and respect it, 
Then when you encounter the authority and, and you respect the authority of God and you learn to take no for no and to see the benefit of it, it goes well with you all the days of your life. That's the promise that, that we see is that when you learn to respect authority, Moses reminds Israel, listen, this whole second generation, that God has chosen you because of grace. It's not because you're super. You might think you're super. You're not. You're a sinner, dirtbag, wretched, just like everybody else. And, and maybe you came here this morning, you're thinking, man, I'm never coming back to this church. Just so, just so you know, I don't teach here every Sunday, okay? You know, so come back and, uh, you know. But I think it's important to have clarity. I mean, do you think you're more special than you are? The only thing that makes us special is our relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us unique. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. You are the most valuable object in the known universe. Because the value of an object is defined by the price that was paid to purchase it. And we have been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the only Son of the living God. If you ever are tempted to think you are unimportant or unvaluable, look to Jesus Christ. Because He defines your value. It's not self-esteem, self-worth. That's not the focus. It's knowing who we are in Christ. Knowing who we are relationship to God. And that's what Moses is exhorting them. But sometimes in order to understand that, you have to have clarity of what a dirtbag you are. And I know, if you, if you think you're... If you, Sit down and talk with someone and you say, hey, how in the world could you ever do that thing? And you look with condemnation to say, oh, man, you are such a loser. Then you, you fail to understand something about yourself. In my life, there have been moments in time when very painfully God has allowed me to see just exactly what I'm capable of. And much to my dismay, I realize I am capable of anything given the right set of circumstances. So when I counsel with people and someone comes into my office and says, Sean, I, I, I did this. I'm like, dude, let's, let's pray. God is sufficient to forgive that. God can restore. And if you sit here this morning and you say, you know what, Sean, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But God does. And God is sufficient to forgive your sin, all you must do is ask Him. But if you think you can do it on your own and you're strong enough to muscle your way through it, I'll just warn you now, just brace yourself because when you get to the end of that realization that you're not, my hope is is that you don't have enough scars that it completely debilitates you. But if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, man, God can't use me. Yes, He can. Look at Israel. <laughs> These people were the most stiff-necked, rebellious jerks on the planet at the time. And God chose to use them. Why? To display in the Old Testament the principle that Rob is teaching in Galatians. Grace. Unmerited favor. Did you know this morning that God chooses to love you not because He's so impressed with your mental acumen? He's not impressed with your abilities. God chooses to love you unconditionally. And that, that, what that tells us is there's nothing I can do to make God love me more as there's nothing I could ever do that would make God love me less. Romans 5.8, while we are yet sinners, while I'm fully in, involved in my rebellion against God, Christ died for me. 
that in Christ Jesus I would have reconciliation. So Moses reminds us this second generation. And then at the end, so in verses uh, 7 through 21, any of you guys remember the uh, Old Testament golden calf incident? Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments. He comes down. Joshua says, hey, what's that noise in the camp? And the people are all coming down, you know, partying and, and dancing around this golden calf, right? Moses has only been gone 40 days. It's like, what? You know, throws down, breaks the first tablets, right? Well, this, this account from verses uh, 7 to 21, Moses reminds them that there are, sti- or, uh, Moses reminds them there are stiff-necked people and, and how God interceded. But then he makes a reference And this is what I want to close with this morning. He makes reference, he says, also at Tav Erah and at Massah and Kibrath Hata'avah and at Kadesh Barnea. He reminds them of four geographic incidents in their history. The first one, Tabera or Tabera, was. They come out of Egypt and they start to murmur and complain. They say, what, Moses, is there not enough graves in Egypt? You brought us out here to the desert to die. There's no water. There's nothing. And they murmur. They complain. And it represents they, they were dissatisfied with the way God was leading them in their lives. He didn't like where he was leading them. And so they murmur and they complain. And then he reminds them of um, uh, Massah. And Massah is where they complained there was no water. There's no water. And then at Kibroth Hata'avah is where they complained about the manna. And here's what's really interesting. They're actually complaining about God's provision. They didn't like God's supernatural provision. And as a result of this, this brings them to Kadesh Barnea. And at Kadesh, they refuse to trust God. They believe the ten spies' reports. They refuse to trust God. And they refuse to obey God. And so they refuse to go in and take possession of what He wanted to bless them with. And there's a principle here. That when you become dissatisfied with the way God is leading you in your life, and you begin to complain about the way God is providing for you in your life, then the natural result is you are going to refuse to trust God and to obey God with your life. And that's what Moses is pointing out to them. So this morning, if you're complaining about the way God is leading you, you don't like it, you're complaining about the way God is providing for you, I want to point out to you, and just in love encourage you, that you're setting yourself up in your future to refuse to obey and trust God. And I would just exhort you, in the love of Christ, to repent if that is what's happening in your soul. I appreciate the the privilege of being with you this morning. I hope as you journey through the study of Galatians that you always will be reminded that grace is is a biblical theology, not a New Testament theology. It's present Old Testament and new. And I hope that this morning, if you do not know Christ, that this morning would be a time in which you would choose to trust your life to the true and living God because He's faithful to provide and to lead you if you would just allow him to do so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the goodness of your provision. And we thank you for your word and the instruction that it gives us. And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us a willing soul, a willing heart that would be willing to honor you, to reverence you, and obey all of your commands, knowing, Lord, that it will bring blessing and goodness into our lives. 
Strengthen us, we pray, Lord. Watch over us. And for those here this morning that are weighing the decision to choose you, may you lead them ever closer and may they choose this morning to give their life to Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, just for the goodness and the privilege of gathering together as like-minded believers. And we ask you to watch over us as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen.